This first song that we're going to sing this morning is one that we've been singing for over 15 years. And it's one of our personal favorites. It's something that has never grown old to us. It's entitled, Only by His Grace. Amen. Certainly, but by the grace of God, we are who we are. We have nothing to glory of, save what the Lord has done for us and what He does through us. Would you meditate on this as we sing this unto the Lord?
There's a phrase in that song in the chorus says, underneath his wings of love. You realize that God shelters us. He envelopes us. He surrounds us with his love. The choir just sang about it. My heart is full this morning, how all these things dovetail together. They didn't know what I was preaching. But the Holy Spirit of God knew. He's the one that was directing me. He, I believe, directed the choir to sing what they sang. That mind with that thought underneath his wings of love. My wife and I are going to sing a song we have not sung in probably well over a year. And I pray that God will direct us and help us in this. We sing it, of course, from the heart. Make a joyful noise. We might make a mistake. I pray that we won't, but focus on the message of this song. It's entitled, My Father's Love. Do you realize that God loves you? No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Praise the Lord. What a tremendous truth and promise that we can rejoice in. That we can rest, rest upon daily as we seek to live for him and reach a world with that same love. with my 
so many we want to sing, but we're going to get to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, maybe we'll sing another time uh, before the conference is over, and I'm not trying to insert us at all, but whatever the Lord leads. But there is a song that does dovetail with the message this morning as well. A song that my wife wrote a few years ago at the beginning of 2020. You think about 2020 vision, having a clear focus, a clear vision, a clear view of what God would have for us. Of course, nobody knew that in perspective or in sight of what was to come down the road, we would be hit with the COVID pandemic. Uh, but the God, Lord knows all things, and God knows all things. And she wrote this song at the beginning of the year. And this captures her heart, our heart, our desire for the things of God. Pray for us that God would continue to give us a vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Would you ponder this message by way of song as we prepare our hearts for the sermon?
week ago, the Lord burned my heart for us to go to this text in this service. Galatians 6, 9. The Bible gives us an encouragement. The Bible gives us a challenge. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Why is God challenging us to not be weary in the well-doing? Because we can become weary in the midst of well-doing. Well-doing is worth doing. And well-doing is worth doing well. For us to give it all we've got. To not hold back. Notice it's teamwork. Let us. We need each other. We cannot be an island unto ourselves, thinking that it's only us, or as individually, it's me. But rather, we must bear one another's burdens, so fulfill you the law of Christ. Pastors, you need each other. Imagine what God can do with a unified front of independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists as they seek to charge the gates of hell that must be breached. And that is what God has been doing in this country. And I believe that God's not done. But God has greater works even in the days ahead. As he raises up even further generations to be able to join the front lines in the fight. But to realize that we can get tired. We can become weak. We will become fatigued. There will be moments in our hearts and lives where we want to slow down. Being weary, I believe, is just a natural human tendency. We'll see later in this message how the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 4. Please don't go there. (laughs) He's ready to go. But uh, it will get there. Don't worry. All right. But it says later in that chapter, we were there last night briefly at the very end of the message, noticing the spiritual warfare. But it also gives perspective to say, hey, while you're on the front lines and while you're in the fight, the outward man perisheth. But the inward man can be renewed day by day. We find here in Galatians 6, 9, the Bible says, and let us not be weary in well-doing for a new season we shall reap notice the last four words say them with me if you'd be so kind if we faint not i presume that everybody in this room this morning myself included we have a determination we've got a motivation we've got a heart that's committed saying we're not going to quit preacher we're not going to be the one that's going to be a statistic or a casualty We're not going to be the one that's going to throw in the towel or stop doing what God would have us to do. We heard it last night, didn't we? The old preacher investing in the younger preacher. One out of ten. The one giving testimony how that many years later as he gave perspective and wow, it was just only three left on the list. I began to think of my own life. What friends do I still have in the ministry? I'm only 37. Men, fellow fervent young men that graduated Bible college, but by the grace of God, were all but one step away from quitting and throwing the towel and failing. The man who thinks he stands, take heed lest you fall. The first step toward failure is thinking that you won't fail. Are you listening? And as soon as we lift ourselves or elevate ourselves or place ourselves on some pedestal or some spiritual high horse, as the expression may go in America, hey, that is the first step toward catastrophe. We must be always vigilant, realizing that we will fail if we're not careful. And we will fail if we are not centered on Christ. And that will be, of course, an emphasis of this message here this morning. 
The Bible says, if we faint not, if we faint not, let's seek the Lord. Lord, we need you. That's why we're here. I pray that you'd strengthen your body, strengthen the churches that are represented. Help me, Lord, help me to be a vessel that you can use. Fill me. I empty myself. I, I've sought my heart. And Lord, I pray that, that I truly am empty of self. I don't want anything to hinder you or limit you from being able to fill me and flow through me. I ask Holy Spirit of God for an anointing this morning, a special anointing. Please encourage your people, edify your people, build them up today. Lord, there's been a lot of exhortation this week and a lot of challenges and such. But Father, I pray that, that you'd give a healing balm today. Lord, that you'd give uh, medicine today, that you'd give a prescription today, that you'd give uh, a healthy dose of things that will give us the right kind of perspective to not quit, to not faint, help our hearts to stay focused on this. And I pray that our wills are determined. But Lord, understand at the same time that we need to be careful and not overdo it, Lord. And when we're in those seasons, those seasons of hardship, that we'll be mindful of the things that you have sprinkled through your word topically to help us stay on the straight and narrow and stay in the fight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And this message really is about discouragement. It's about not quitting, not fainting. Everybody in this room this morning saying, yes, I don't want to quit, but at times I can't help myself. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Even if it's just for 30 seconds, I've been there. Sometimes it's a couple of days. Sometimes it's a week. It feels like you hit a lull or a valley or a low spot in your heart and life. And all of us know this morning that discouragement is a very real battle that each and every one of us faces. If you don't face discouragement, I want to know what you're eating or drinking. <laughs> I want to know what your secret sauce is. I believe with the human nature and who we are and how God designed us that there are moments where we face this discouragement. But just because we feel discouraged does not mean that we have to live discouraged. We can rise up more than conquerors. I'm thankful that God can give us victory. This discouragement that we face and wanting to faint or to quit saying, and I don't know if it's worth it. All of this time, money, effort, all these years of discipleship and trying to build a church or being used of God to build the church would be the right way to say that. All these things, has it been worth it? What's the point of it? Should I keep going? Why fight the battles? And so many things of application that we could draw from to describe what is encapsulated with this thought of not fainting. But fainting will be felt by everyone here this morning. Weariness will be felt by everyone this morning. Being discouraged, wondering if I should keep on keeping on, will be felt and battled and struggled within the heart of every person. It's an emotional and spiritual struggle raging within the soul and the mind and the heart. Many times it's not visible on the external. But it's something that's working within us. Be careful. God forgive us. And God, help us to forsake a form of godliness. A facade, a mask, a hypocrisy. What is a hypocrite? Someone who plays a part. Yes, I'm going to go ahead and put a smile on my face, but inside, if I could just be myself, I don't want to smile. I don't want to look pleasant. I don't want to put up a front. I just want to sit here. I just want to stand here and just, just be exhausted.
There's an expression we were joking about it at the lunch table. And by the way, this message was ordained of God before any of your message or what we talked about. But we were just, we were chuckling whenever it was about fake it till you make it, you know, the expression. And we were like, no, we're not supposed to fake it till we make it. Now I understand that there are moments uh, and seasons in which you're in the midst of pushing, you know, a, 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 a kiloton, what is it? A kilo, kilo, what? Kilo, a ton is, a, what's the big measurement? A ton, they use, you use tons here? Like pushing a one ton rock up a hill, you know, spiritually. It's like, man, you know, and there's a moment in there where it's like, oh, I don't know if I should keep it. And I'm, but I'm going to push through. We're not talking about persistence here this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a very real problem that can grip pastors' hearts and lives, preachers' hearts and lives, people's hearts and lives. Hey, people all through the word of God faced weariness. They faced the potential of fainting and throwing in the towel. They faced times of discouragement and season of it. David faced seasons of discouragement, did he not? But it's fascinating that the Bible says that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 1 Samuel 30, verse number 6 says. But notice that he encouraged himself. Yeah. You realize, and you don't have to turn there every single time I give a reference. It's no problem. And it's almost like I just slapped his hand verbally. I'm not meaning to do that. A lot of times I'll insert just verses and such as I just preach from my heart or scribble something in the margin of my notes. But notice he encouraged himself. There was nobody there to pump him up. There was nobody there to help him up. And I'm encouraged by this because the truth of the matter is, even though we need each other as a team effort, truly and biblically, we do not need each other to keep each other encouraged. Say, so wait a second, I don't know if I agree with that. Now, it's a whole lot easier to stay encouraged when we are encouraging each other. The Bible teaches us to have that spirit of reconciliation and encouragement. Even the book of Hebrews 10 talks about this, about provoking or encouraging, stirring and stimulating each other unto love and good works, that we are engaged uh, in, in, in the right thing and we're doing it with the right motive. Amen? Love and good works. It's a whole lot easier to stay fresh and stay fired up when everybody's charging each other up, but there may be a time in your life, and even as a pastor, you feel isolated, or maybe a preacher or somebody in this room, you just don't know how to express these things to others. I'm encouraged that we can be encouraged even if nobody else does the encouragement. There is one who can bring encouragement in your life to fill your heart and to fill your sails to get up and go on another day. Amen. Nehemiah and the children of Israel faced times of discouragement as they sought to build up the wall of Jerusalem. What a formidable task. And they were doing it in the face uh, of, the uh, of the adversities and the adversaries, the constant scoffing of the enemy around them. No wonder Nehemiah 8.10 was written about, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Elijah and several others that we could talk about this morning concerning uh, discouragement. Uh, but as we study this here today, it's wonderful to realize that God through his word gives us the wherewithal and the wisdom that we need to stay at it. Feeling discouragement, to faint, to be weary. It's a natural human tendency, but just because it is, it does not mean that we have to be governed by this or gripped by this, we can get up and go on even when the hit, the feeling hits or the spirit hits or the emotion hits. In that moment, we can work through it with the word of God and with God himself and come out the other side, not faking it till we make it. Amen. Not putting on some false front, but truly not having a form of godliness, but a filling thereof. And getting up and going on. 
I would like for the screen to reflect Proverbs 29, 18. All of us are familiar with this text, I presume, and this will help us here this morning, especially as we get perspective about the message and as we get into things. Notice the Bible says where there is no, what church? Vision. What I'm seeing. The people perish. We think about lost souls. Yes, but what about us? If we don't have the right focus, we will not function the way we ought to be and what we, and what we ought to be doing. The truth is, and we can even find in this verse and several others in the Word of God, fainting begins with a loss of focus. Ultimately, our focus determines our footsteps. And if my vision, and I have lost it, my view and my perspective, and what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing, if my vision and my view and perspective and my focus is not right, it's only a matter of time until my walk with God perishes. My preaching fails. My soul winning quits. My seeking to raise a godly seed and to be the husband and father ought to be. It becomes nothing. It becomes spoiled. It becomes broken. It becomes perished. I presume all of us this morning would raise our heads and say, hands and say, I don't want that. I don't want my life to perish. I want my life to reach its full potential. Amen. I don't want my marriage to perish. Listen, we know people that have been married for over 35 years and they're divorced. Mm. And they were deacons and they were plugged in. They were pillars of the church. They were the ones always there in the ministry and being engaged and involved. But in their sunset years, the wife leaves the husband, the husband leaves the wife or whatever. And they fainted and they quit. They did not finish wrong. I presume all of us this morning want a marriage that lasts. We don't want it to perish. We want our churches to thrive Amen. and be proactive and pursue the will and work of God and not perish. But I'm concerned that many times if we do not have the right vision, the right focus, it's only a matter of time until we faint and quit. If we faint not, you say, Brother Garraway, I don't want to quit, but at times I can't help myself. I find myself still growing fatigued and tired in the midst of this well-doing. How can I, how can I find that day in, day out consistency and that constant strength to not quit and throw in the towel? Of course, all of our answers are found in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's journey, notice, to Hebrews chapter number 12, very quickly. Hebrews chapter number 12. Notice what the Bible says in verse number two. Let's walk through some things. I pray this will help us this morning. I pray that this would save, save and salvage a ministry, a church, a heart. That this would help us. It helps me daily. I need this daily. Ministry is busy. There's <laughs> sometimes, at least, I, and I presume this is true for everybody, man, we're putting in eight to ten hours easy a day. And that's not even with preparation. Bible study, which you got to do that first and foremost. Amen. Thank you for that. Amen. Thank you, brother, for that message. The water coming in. Got to. By the way, I challenge you preachers to read the Bible as much as possible. And I'm going to pause here, and it's always dangerous when a preacher rabbit trails or gets off the beaten path. Like, where is it going? As long as you get the rabbit at the end of the trail, you're okay. It makes good stew in some parts of America. I say this just to be a help. I need this. That's why I do it. 
But to be transparent with you, and this message is from my heart, from the heart of God to your heart. I have to read 10 chapters a day in my Bible. Many years ago, I was reading my Bible through once a year. Had do it, done it ever since I was but a boy. But I find myself, found myself growing spiritually stale and stagnant. Going through the motions of checking boxes, okay, however many in the Old Testament, however many in the New. And marching through day by day with my little schedule. And finding it monotonous. Has anybody else ever felt Bible reading monotonous? I'm the first to raise my hand. I've been guilty of it. And I don't want to be guilty of it. I think there's a whole lot more people in this room than just the few that raise their hands. Come on. And I realized as a preacher, how on earth can this be possible? It can't be. God forbid. Shame on me. I was convicted by this well over 10, 12 years ago. I said, Lord, I need a Bible reading schedule that's going to help me grow. I came across a Bible reading schedule called the Professor Horner's Bible reading system or schedule. I can give you that name later if you like. It takes you through the Bible in 10 different sections every single day. So instead of having, uh, you know, three chapters of, you know, Leviticus and then two chapters of whatever the New Testament, throwing in a Psalm or a Proverbs, now you've got 10 different chapters in 10 different sections. It's like a Bible buffet, amen, lining up and loading your plate. You've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you're all over the place, and it's awesome. Taking you through 10 different sections of Scripture, you go through the Gospels multiple times, the Book of Acts every month. It's great, Proverbs every month. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It takes you through the Bible about eight and a half to nine months. It gives you a broad perspective about his word so you can effectively feed the flock. But you're feeding yourself first. So that after you've been fed, as he preached yesterday, you're able to feed. And not doing of where you're feasting so that way you can feed others. And while you're doing it, you become malnourished and weak and weary. Hebrews 12, we find everything in the word of God. We're back on the path now. Amen. Hopefully we got the rabbit. Notice the Bible says in verse number two, are you there? Would you say amen? Amen. The Bible says, looking unto who? Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider who? Him. Who's the him? Somebody say it out loud. Jesus. For consider Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Lest ye be what? We read and what? Faint where? In your mind. It's true. If you quit in your mind first, it's only a matter of time. If you quit in your head, it's only a matter of time before you quit in your hands. Man, even, even in sports, a basketball team or whatever it may be as you watch it. And there's a team where they started, they lose their morale, if you will. They lose their heart in it. And you can just see that the other team has got into their mind and even though they're still playing the game, they're still playing uh, and they're still scoring sports uh, points and they're still engaged in that sport, their heart is not in it and it affects their performance. Not that I'm saying we need to perform anything, but you understand the copy-paste context here. But when they get that mind back, that morale back, that guts, that gumption back, then sometimes you see a shift, right? Where it's like, man, they were back behind. That's what makes sometimes a good game. We're not in a game. You understand that. We're at war. But man, all of a sudden, the tide is turning well from out of nowhere. They win at the very end. If we quit in our mind, we faint in our mind, it's only a matter of time before we quit in our hands and what we're doing. 
But notice the Bible says, hey, it says, look unto Jesus, consider Jesus. If you don't look unto Jesus and don't consider Jesus, you will be wearied and faint in your mind. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to jump this down. Preacher, how can I not quit? How can I certainly say we faint not and live it and have the scriptural backing to be able to stay consistent and courageous and go forward one day at a time to have a vision, to not perish, to have the right focus, to function for my footsteps to follow Jesus from this day to my final breath. Number one, it takes the right view of Christ. The right view of Christ. That's what the Bible says. Looking into Jesus, consider him. Let him be in your mind and in your heart. If you don't think about Jesus and look into Jesus, that right view of Jesus, it says you will be wearied and faint in your mind and you may be able to fake it for a little while and you're thinking that you're making it but you're making nothing you're spinning your wheels in frustration you're not going to go forward for god and conquer and see victory you're just going through the motions and nothing truly is being done that will influence and impact eternity but notice now the context in hebrews 12 2 the bible says looking unto jesus you know this is the only time in the new testament greek this word is ever used and it has been accurately translated into the English language to be looking. We all know, you say, well, where are you going? We all know that there are different ways we can look at things or people. I'm gonna demonstrate, my wife is right here. I'm gonna look at my wife. Three, two, one. <laughs> Did I look at my wife? Yes or no? But that was just simply a glance, wasn't it? I'm looking at all this other stuff and all these other people more than I am her. Oh, I'm looking at Katie. Could it be that at times when we look at Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're glancing at him. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yeah, when I get my devotions or whatever, if we even do them. I'm looking, I'm glancing at Jesus, and I'm busy about everything else that I need to be busy about. Even if it's ministry. We can make an idol out of the ministry. You understand that? To the point where we feel like, hey, if I'm not busy, then I'm committing sin. What? I know we need to work to the, for the night is coming. Don't use uh, rest as an excuse to be lazy. But there needs to be a time where we come apart. You yep. see how these messages all dovetail together. This was what God ordained even before he preached last night. Looking into Jesus specifically means this. The only time in the New Testament Greek this word is ever used, and it has this definition, this context. To turn my eyes away from everything and everyone else and to fix them. Specifically on one spot. Now I'm going to look at Katie. Three, two, one. It's really hard because the ladies behind you are laughing. <laughs> but I'm looking into your eyes and there's fireworks going off in my mind and heart. My socks are going up and down my leg. Amen. All right. And my focus determines my footsteps. And I won't embarrass everybody by giving her a kiss on the lips, all right? <laughs> I'm gazing. I'm staring. 
I refuse to take my eyes off of her and be distracted by other stuff. When did Peter fall as he was walking on the water? Experiencing the miraculous, the ministry of God, of being able to demonstrate great faith to the other disciples. It was when he took his eyes off Jesus. He began to look at everything else. Oh, that's when he failed. That's when he fainted. But as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was experiencing the miraculous. And I submitted to you, preachers, and I submitted to you, dear people, as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, I believe that we will can experience the miraculous. Amen. Amen. The manifestation of what God has for us, even when we can't see it, we can know that God is always working behind the scenes. God is ordering our steps and God is directing and guiding and providing. We can always know that God is on the move, that he is not dead or dormant, but he is actively and always continually at work. Even if it's something that we cannot see or cannot sense, God is on the move. And this morning, the right view of Christ is to gaze at Jesus and to not take our eyes off Jesus. If we gaze at Jesus and not glance at Jesus, the Bible says that we will not be wearied and faint in our minds. Hey, we all don't want to quit this morning. We want to see God bring revival. We want to see God do a work. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Gaze at Jesus. Don't glance at Jesus. Gaze, stare upon our Savior. I believe a fresh gaze upon Christ will produce a fresh glow in the Christian. Because when you see God for who he is, high and lifted up, what did Isaiah say? Wow, look at God. His heart was just so filled with the Lord. Just listen as I quote and read Psalm 18, verse number 36. It says, Thou shalt enlarge my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. What is the emphasis of this verse, thou? His attention, his focus was riveted on the Lord. Journey with me to the book of Isaiah on screen. I'll make it faster. We want to keep on moving and trekking so we can get through here and, and, and move on with, with what God has for us. Uh, as we ponder this, notice Isaiah chapter number 40. This is a wonderful text. And uh, the young men sang it last night. And I think it's wonderful that they sang it. Wings as eagles. Amen. Wow. Isaiah 40, verse number 28. I love this. It says, hast thou not known? Come on, man. Where have you been at? Seriously? That's what God is saying. At least that's how I perceive it. Now, by the way, I have to correct something. Brother Miller, you're wrong. Say, what? <laughs> Iowa people are not passionate. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa people are farmers. And, and I'm just, I'm being silly. I'm not trying to correct you. He knows that. And he's got that sly look on his face, you know? But, well, not really sly, but there's just something about it. He's like, hmm. <laughs> but Iowa people, they drop, like, over there, it's 55 miles an hour, okay? It's the speed limit on the two-lane roads. They drive 50 in a 55. They're waiting for the corn and the grain to grow out there. They got nothing to do. Just, you know, just, I'm from New York. My dad's from Brooklyn. My mother's from New Jersey. My mother is an Italian woman. You do not have a thorough conversation unless you talk about things five times in one conversation. <laughs> I'm, my wife will ask, what did you talk to mom about? I'm always, I always schedule 45 minutes minimum and talk to my mom. And I don't say that disrespectfully. She's our greatest prayer warrior. I love my mother. I love my mother. I wish I could hug her right now and give her a kiss on the cheek. That's the Italian way. 
We do that. My kids give me a kiss on the cheek, I give them a kiss on the cheek. I don't give my wife a kiss on the cheek, I give her a kiss on the lips. <laughs> it's the only female I've ever kissed on the lips. But New York, New Jersey, that's the kind of mindset. Come on, man, seriously? What are you thinking? In a way, when I read that, I can hear my dad's voice. Hast thou not known? Come on, wake up. Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. What's the emphasis? Jesus. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait, you see that word? What does the word wait mean? Ready? God, you have my full attention. Wait. That may mean that you have to take your hands off the plow. Private time with the Lord is essential. Amen. See, it, it's not hard work that breaks people down. It's the toiling without the touch of God. And the only way you're going to get the touch of God is if you tarry in His presence. And wait. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles going above the stormy clouds. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I don't want to quit, preacher. Man, the laborers are few. we got to get into the harvest field. There's a job to be done. Yes, praise the Lord, we need that. But understand that we can grow weary in well-doing. The only way that we can stay focused is if we have the right view of Christ, our focus will determine our footsteps. It will determine how we function. Where there is no vision, the people perish. The right view of Christ. Notice number two, uh, the right view of his kindness. The right view of his kindness. Turn with me to Psalm 27. And the choir sang about this. And as soon as they began to sing, I'd never heard the song before. But as I was listening to the lyrics, I just turned to my wife and said, oh my. I mean, there's thousands of songs the choir could have sang, but you sang that one. I, I presume that it was spirit-led. I do know that it dovetails with this message. Thank the Lord. Psalm 27, verse number 13. You can jot down the reference. I encourage you to just focus on the, the screen if you're able to for the sake of time. Uh, here this morning, the scriptures that we're going to, and you can write it down, but then stay focused on the truth as a result of seeing up, up here. Psalm 27, notice verse number 13. Uh, the psalmist declares, David, I had fainted. I was thrown on the towel. I was going to quit. I was done. Unless. What didn't? Let me quit. What kept me going? Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Journey with me, and we'll preach here in just a moment, but journey with me in Psalm 103 as well. Psalm 103, verse number 1 down to verse number 5. Psalm 103, verse number 1 down to verse number 5. Listen, I need this every single day. 
the right view of Christ, the right view of His kindness, to realize that His mercies fail not. God is still good. God is always good. God is only good. His grace is sufficient. His goodness endureth forever. Praise God. God is always good. Even when we don't see it, we can't sense it. All things work together for good. But preacher, you don't understand what I'm facing right now and the struggles and the financial difficulties and the health crisis. And it's just so overwhelming. God uses all things, even the backs out of the desert with Moses for a purpose. God is always good. Psalm 103, notice that the Bible says in verse number one down to verse number five, bless the Lord, O my soul. Notice this was something within him, my soul. Amen. Not my mouth, my soul. Yeah. And all that is within me, bless in me. Bless his holy name. Listen, we face discouragement. It hits sometimes like a smack across the face. I need a young man to come up here so I can demonstrate. No, just joking. <laughs> like, boom, like, whoa. I mean, come on, man. It hits sometimes. Or sometimes it's subtle. It just creeps in and gets you. Man, it happens. But praise the Lord, we have a risen Savior that we can look to. Amen. Yeah. So much preached to that. You know that. His kindness to realize there's someone who never changes. There's something that never changes. Life is spiraling out of control, but God is always good. And God has my best interest in mind. For I know the thoughts that I think for you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Give you an expected end, Jeremiah 29 and 11. But here in Psalm 103, he says, verse number two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget, where is that? Who forgiveth all thy iniquities. Are you saved and do you know it? At least there's one. Are you saved and do you know it? Amen. I'm wondering about everybody else that didn't say amen. Are you truly saved? No. Yes. Praise God. We're not dying and going to hell. Amen. Amen. We've got Amen. something to shout about. Amen. Amen. And even if the situation or circumstance costs me my life, the best is yet to come. Amen. Who redeemeth, the, uh, verse number three, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. God is sprinkling this all through his word. God is giving us a, a, a breadcrumb trail to see these things, a, a thin white line through the word of God of how as we study it, how we can stay faithful and not quit Hey, it takes the right view of his kindness to not lose sight and perspective that God is always good no matter what happens to me. Amen. Amen. Church member that I've been investing in puts his knife in my back and twists it. Disparages the church name. Rejects all the investment that we put in them. A family member that we have decides to reject the Lord. So many things that we could discuss this morning, but I pray that you'll take it and personalize it and apply it to yourself as we preach the truths. Number three, moving quickly for the sake of time. Hey, how do we not quit? Number three, the right view of our calling. The right view of our calling. Second Corinthians four, verse number one. Second Corinthians four, verse number one. We're going to be in Second Corinthians for the next 
for this point and the next point, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 1. You know, when you stop and think that Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he ain't changing, that helps to stay faithful. Amen? Amen. When you stop and realize that God is kind and good and merciful and long-suffering, and just as much as his mercies were new yesterday, they're new today, and his grace is sufficient yesterday, they're sufficient today, that gives us the substance and the sustenance to be able to get on, get up, and go on. Yeah. At least it ought to. To know that God's got this, and even though it may seem evil, in the moment, it's always for my good. God knows what he's doing, even though I don't know what he's doing. The right view of our calling, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, Amen. as we have received mercy, what does it say? We faint not. He says, hey, we're not going to quit team effort. We're together. Encourage each other in this, these things. We faint not. But how? Seeing that we have this ministry. Do you see God's calling upon your life individually as he sees it? Do you see the ministry of raising children in a wicked world in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? As a divine calling of God. Amen. Do you see the privilege of soldiering on for Jesus and standing for truth in a wicked world? And man, trying to charge forward. The, do you see that as a ministry, as God sees it? How that will make an eternal impact and difference. His truth will not return and his word will not return void. God is going to use it even when we don't know or see how he's going to use it. He's going to use it. Going to use it. Do we see every sermon preached? Do we see every time we serve God or other people uh, for the Lord? There's so much application. Do we see every single time we go sowing? And there's so much that could be given here this morning. Do we see our calling as God sees it? Understand this truth. That God has called everyone. Amen. God has called everyone to be full-time Christians. Just because we have pastors in this room or an evangelist in this room, or missionaries in this room, does not mean, does not mean that we are more important in God's lineup of the work than you. God is no respecter of persons. And God wants to use us all in a phenomenal way. God wants to use you in a way that he cannot use me. God wants to use me in a way that he can't use you. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. We all have a purpose. We have a calling. We've been created by God. He formed us. And before we were even born, he had a purpose for our life. He said, I've separated you from the womb and sanctified thee. And I've ordained thee to be a prophet, to be a preacher, a testifier, a witness of truth. Right view of our calling. Do we see it this morning? Let's journey with me in the book of Hebrews very quickly. Uh, Hebrews, let's see this. I'm trying to find the reference here. Hold on, bear with me. Hebrews 3, verse number 1. And in that pause, the Lord just stirred my heart for us to just journey this real quick, machine gun style. See this. Notice Hebrews 3, verse number 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the what? You realize that God's purpose for your life is from... One who created everything. 
who says, yep, you. You. Not, not the first man. You. Yeah, yeah, you. 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 Yes. I, the God of heaven, am looking specifically in your eyes, desiring to share with your heart what's in mind for what I can do with you. We have a heavenly calling. Do we see this as a heavenly thing and purpose? Journeying to Philippians chapter number three, just look at it on the screen. You can jot this down. Philippians chapter number three, we see Ephesians, Philippians. I'm turning there because I don't have eyes in the back of my head. I can't read behind me, all right? <laughs> Philippians three, notice what the Bible says in verse number 14. I press toward the mark. Sounds like it's a lot of hard work to press. I push toward the mark of the prize of the what? High calling. What does that mean? The calling of God for your life, it is a cut above everything else. What God wants you to do is more important than anything else in life. Do we see the calling as God sees it? Notice that the Bible says also in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 9, 2 Timothy 1, verse number 9, who have saved us and called us with a what sort of calling? Holy calling. What does this mean? It's sacred. I'll use this as a, as a demonstration. This is our calling, this object, my, my phone here. And we hold it with reverence and respect. Wow. God, you've given this to me? Oh, this, is, this is precious. Amen. Being a pastor of that church, being a church planner, being a missionary, being a mom, a dad, a soul winner, a soldier for Jesus, a servant of God, this, this, this is... Money can't buy this. Amen. This is precious. This is priceless. I, I'm going to guard this. Amen. Eh. Whatever, you know, I just throw it up here. It is what it is. And well, where did I put that? Oh, yeah, let me see. No. Do we hey. see it? Has God sees it? Hey, it's a heavenly calling. It does not have earthly origins. Yeah. 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 For you. For me. High calling, it's, it's a cut above, it's a, it rises above everything, everything, more important than anything. And it's holy, it's sacred, it's precious, it's priceless. What is ministry? Here's a definition i like to give you that God gave me last year. Write this down if you'd like to. Ministry is a divine opportunity to make an eternal impact. A divine opportunity to make an eternal impact impact a privilege a joy an open door to go forward and be used of God to leave a mark in our generation that will leave a ripple effect in the generations to come I believe that I believe that first Timothy 1 12 he says and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me he's given me strength and opportunity for that he counted me faithful He's considered me, and, and he thinks of me as trustworthy. He believes in me, putting me into the ministry. Do you understand that God believes in you? Amen. If God has called you to this, he knows that you are capable of doing it. Amen. Stop doubting. God is the one who's called you and placed you into this. Of course, if God has put you into it, you can't do it in that place. Only he can do that Amen. in you and through you in that place. 2 Corinthians 4 and... The hour is growing late. I'm trying to preach as fast as possible. Philippians, Second uh, Corinthians 4. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 15 and 16. And we are winding down. 
We are winding down. This passage and then back to our text and we'll be through. Number four, we see the right view of the cause. The right view of the cause. In 2 Corinthians 4, notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. For all things are for your sakes. I hope that you don't do anything for yourself. Ministry is not a place where you step on people to climb some ladder, try to make yourself look good in the eyes of God. I hope nobody does that. Where I'm putting chairs out and I'm cooking a meal and I'm doing these things to make myself look good. It's not about us, me. It's about Amen. everyone else. Amen. I'm putting the chairs out because I want someone to be able to sit in it. Not because I need to feel fulfillment that I actually did something. Self-centered. It's pride. It's the wrong way. Wrong view. All things are for your sakes. Why? That the abundant grace might or have opportunity through the thanksgiving, the praise, the worship of many. Redound. This word redound means to exceed the measure, to abound, to overflow to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet their inward man is renewed day by day. What is the cause? The cause is, as we're involved, it's for everyone else and not us. It's ultimately for Jesus and those around us are being affected by it. But the reason we're doing it is for God's sake. The cause is that people will rejoice and praise and thank our God unto his glory as a result of soul winning and serving and all the things that we preach this morning and the call of God that God is magnified in all things. And there's so much praise and honor and glory and thanksgiving. Even coming from the lost, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. And all of this thanksgiving, this, wow, look at what God has done. Now, look what, what, look what they did. Look at what God has done. That it is so abundant that it is overflowing. And it's not stopping or ceasing. Our communities need a flood. A flood. Yep. Of God's glory. Yeah, why do you do what you do? There's a whole other message there about motive. If the cause is not right in your life or in my life, in our heart, our mind, our vision, we will perish. If it's not for God's glory and if it's for man's glory, for my glory, it's only a matter of time before we quit. But if you're doing it for God's glory and for God's glory to not just be made apparent, but for God's glory to be overflowing Amen. all over the place, that's going to cause us to get up and go on. Yep. Serve more. Yep. Amen. Do more. In our text, Galatians 6, 9, God bless you. You've been so kind and considerate here today. Galatians 6, 9, the Bible says, and let us not be weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For a new season, we shall reap. If we faint not. Number five, and lastly, how to not quit. 
the right view of the consequences. The right view of the consequences. As we seek to stay faithful, to realize that at some point down the road, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now, it could be after we're dead and gone. At some point, the season of labor will become due and there will be a supernatural reaping of God doing a great work. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, praise God here today that everything you do for Christ and as you do and serve others and seek and save others for Jesus, that it's never a waste of time. It's never a hollow, empty, pointless, good for nothing, vain. But it always is going to make a difference. The consequences, there will always be reward and there will always be reaping. Not because we think so or we're trying to encourage each other about this. But God has said, you shall reap. If you don't quit. You know what's one reason that gets me to get out of the bed and go on every day? Right view of the consequences. It's all worth it. I may never see the result. I may never see the ripple effect. And I'm fine with that. I don't need to see it. Because I already know God has promised me that it's going to come. So let's just go on. Amen? All right, here we go. Let's face the day. All right, Lord, help me. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man being renewed day by day. And if my mind and my heart is not quitting, man, my hand's not going to quit. Why? Because we're trying to sound cute with what we're saying. No, the Bible teaches us this. If we have vision, the people will not perish. But there is no, where there is no vision, the people will perish. I end with this. I want to read you a little paragraph here. I don't know when the season of reward and reaping and result will become due. It may not be until after we're dead and gone. But we should be completely okay with that. Because we know, according to God's perfect will, He will perform His work, work perfectly and do as He sees fit at the perfect my heart, your heart should pray this, Lord, may my life and labor simply be a stepping stone for your glory and the advancement of the gospel. Do your work through me and don't hold back. I know it's worth it all, even if I don't see it or understand it this side of heaven. Because I know that one day my faith will become sight. Amen. And one day I will see it in eternity as you see it, the ripple effect. How my mind is blown how you used my life to make an impact. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We need this, don't we? The right view of Christ, his kindness, our calling, the cause, and the consequences. This is how we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. This is how we should encourage one another. Father, bless this truth. Sweetheart, would you come to the piano and play? We'll have a brief invitation. You seek the Lord, whether you come to the altar or I'm not going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We'll remain in our seats. I encourage you to seek the Lord.
Come to the altar if you'd like to, but let's just have an openness and a transparency with God. Let's thank him for this. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. Use these things. Thank you for making this known through your word. Help us not forget it, lose sight of it. God, as this remains our focus, I believe that we'll be able to function. Because now we're functioning in a spiritual and eternal, biblical capacity, heavenly capacity. Not something that we're trying to work up within our own flesh. God, forgive us for doing religious activities in the flesh. Help us to do it with the right focus. Function as you'd have us to function. And God, I'm thankful we can function if these are our focuses. Lord, it's helped me. But God, I need this daily. I stand before this great crowd and I ask for the sake of accountability that you'll help me to continue to live this way. Help me to not preach it and then I myself become a castaway. God, use these things in the hearts of your sweet men of God and dear, precious people. Lord, you have a great work that you'd have us to do, laborers in the harvest. There's nothing more exciting and exhilarating, noble, than to do this. But God, we will grow tired and weary. In those seasons of discouragement, difficulty of just, is it worth it? God, help us to remember this. Lord, I, I believe that if we keep this in our thoughts, in our heart, even though discouragement may raise its ugly head, it's going to come and then go. We have a readiness to revenge all disobedience. We're taking every thought into captivity, and even though it enters for a moment, it's, it's, it's expelled. It's removed. The fiery darts of the wicked may seek to penetrate. God, they don't have to injure us. Linger and fester wounds. Help us now as we seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart to play. Katie, go ahead and play the piano. Would you do business with God? The altars are open. The altars are open. Would you come and bend a knee here today? I encourage you to do that even now.
the Lord. Thank you very much, uh, Brother Caleb. This morning we will um, take a break um, for. I'm going to take time.